1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Brew, who's producing the show today and always, did you watch the first half of the game in the bar? You did. All right. All right. Well, normally, when the Packers games are on, typically if it's a Sunday afternoon, uh, one of the places that I will go is I will go to, eh, I call it a dive bar. I, I like it. It's one of these nice places, $2 beers. In Cedarburg, I'll sit there with a couple of my friends. We'll, we'll watch part of the game. They do raffles, all these drawings and things. And, of course, as you're watching the Packers game while it's going on, um, one of the things about doing it in a bar setting is that everybody has an opinion. People comment, oh, I, how did that guy not make the play, etc." Well, for the last couple of years, one of the ongoing sources of conversation has been Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Packers, it's time for him to go, or it's way past time for him to go, or how does he still have a job, et cetera, et cetera. And I admit, on those occasions that I have decided to interject in it, I've, I've kind of been defensive of McCarthy. I thought, well, look, the, the problem is I, I don't think Ted Thompson gave him some of the players that he needed. The defense has been a hot mess for years. There's only so much you can end up doing. I don't think he's that bad a coach. And by the way, he won the Super Bowl in 2010. Now, I do acknowledge that 2010 is a long time ago. And if you look at what is going on with the Packers, the trajectory is not good. They, for the number of years, were an elite team. Everybody thought they had a chance to not only get to, but to win the Super Bowl every year. Well, that hasn't been the case for, I think, realistically, the last couple years. The argument has been, well, you've got Aaron Rodgers, and any time... Even if you've got subpar people around him, Aaron Rodgers can make anyone better. And I think that's been true to an extent. Last year, Aaron Rodgers gets injured. This year, well, let's face it, Aaron Rodgers is not playing at the level that he used to play at. Now, I don't know if that's because of injuries. you got to hope it's not because his skills are starting to atrophy because they, they just paid him this huge contract for the next couple of years. So you have to hope that he's not on the downhill slide, but you don't know. But Rodgers doesn't look like the same quarterback to me. He's missing open passes. He doesn't have the escapability that he used to have. He's getting caught in the pocket. He's holding the ball too long. All those different types of things. So there's all sorts of reasons why perhaps the Packers aren't the team that they were. But the truth of the matter is, and I sent this out as a text last night after the Packers game ended, another another close game that they ended up losing. They're four, five, and one. Realistically, they're probably out of the playoffs. I mean, I, I understand mathematically you could win all six games, but does anybody really think, and I hope they do, don't get me wrong, I hope they do, but realistically, does anybody think that they're going to be able to go into Minnesota a week from Sunday night on the road and win? Haven't won any road games this year. Can they win the remaining games and sneak into the playoffs? Yes, they can. But the truth is, the team right now is kind of a hot mess. Matter of fact, that's the text I sent out, the tweet I sent out last night. And if you want to follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. My tweet was, well, here's some good news. The Packers might be a hot mess, but not all is lost. Pitchers and catchers for the Brewers report to spring training in approximately 90 days. So you want to be a little, at least a little bit optimistic. But in any event, I have defended Mike McCarthy over the years. I am afraid that that has to stop. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. By the way, we are live streaming. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can watch the show as it proceeds. But let, let's start off with the discussion that everybody is having today. Packers are 4-5-1. and one. They were sub-500 last year. They haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2010. 
Is it time for Mike McCarthy to go? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What does he have to do to save his job? Or as a practical matter, even if the Packers run the table and make the playoffs, if they don't make the Super Bowl, if they don't win the Super Bowl, do they need to make changes? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And just from my perspective as a fan, as somebody who I think – has been watching football for a long, long time. Looks to me like there's a lot of problems with this team. I think Mike McCarthy has been outcoached on a regular basis, including last night. How can you not challenge that pass that they called a catch at the end of the game that didn't appear that it was a catch? And if the argument is, well, you would only had one timeout left and you would have had to burn it, how do you always get in a situation where you're burning timeouts early in the game? I, I think he's lost the team. I think it's time for a change. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're going to be back to discuss in just a moment. Um, as we said, we're live streaming Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. 1213 Jeff Wagner. 1216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit, I have been a defender of Mike McCarthy. Hey, you know, to the extent that the teams had failures before, well, it's an injured Aaron Rodgers. Or Ted Thompson really didn't give him enough players that he could end up working with. But I tell you, this season has kind of hit home. I, I think McCarthy appears to me to be burned out, at least burned out as coach of the Packers. He's getting outcoached on a regular basis. The team is floundering. Yeah, I think they've got to make a change. All right, we're up on Facebook Live. It's facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Here's a couple of notes. Karen says, I think it's time for a change. Mark says, time for a change. Too many mistakes. Ted says, heck yes, he's got to go. Let's start with Mike in Kenosha. Mike, what do you think? Good afternoon. Hey, how are you, Jeff? Good. Is it time for him to go? I believe it is, and you can just look at his third down play calling last night in the second half. We driving the ball, be third and two, and we do this fake draw, fake reverse, and mm-hmm. then look for Devontae Deep. You yep. need two yards. Yep. Roll the ball short, run the ball. Do what you need to do. You're in four-down territory right there to win the game or at least go up right. by two scores, and you want to go for the home run because you have the best quarterback in the league. Yep. Sorry, well, Tom Brady has all those wins because all he does is drop the ball off to everyone that is open and not go for the home run every single well, well, let me give you another example of that. All right, four minutes left in the game. Packers are behind by three points. Third and three, Rodgers throws that horrible pass where he you know, like bounces it to the receiver. Fourth and three, I don't know, where they're on their own 40 or whatever, and they decide that they're going to punt the ball away. I don't know about you, Mike, but I knew the minute they punted that ball away, that defense was never going to get that ball back. I think you got to go to go for it on fourth and two or fourth and three. That defense was out there for many of drives that were five, six, seven minutes. Yep. The defense worn down. You had no one on the back end that, Anyone had heard of except Alexander and Williams right. playing in the game. And what did you expect? Your defense to go through and, hey, we're going to do it, and then still expect Rodgers to come back and do it again. Right. Yep. Nope. Thanks. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at that. And at the minute they punted that ball away, I said to my wife, I said, they're never going to get that ball back again. And, and again, would, would they have been able to make it on fourth and three? I don't know, but they kicked it away. They ended up losing the game. What's about, again, remember that long pass that led right before Seattle's last touchdown? The ball bounced on the ground. They showed the replays. McCarthy 
You've got all sorts of people that are looking at this. Why does nobody challenge that? They say, well, he would have lost his last time out. Well, okay, that was a game-changing type of play. You don't challenge it. Somebody in the replay booth has to see that it looks like that ball bounced <clears throat> on the ground. And why are you only left with one time out? It seems to me it happens all the time. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ray in Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Don't tell me you're a Bears fan. You're not a Bears fan, are you? Absolutely not. I'm a dyed-in-the-wolf Packer fan, been one for about over 40 years. And, uh, you know, McCarthy's got to go. And then I'll give you another example. Last caller was talking a little bit about this. But the play calling second half, I mean, you're running the ball down Seattle's throat. Why Aaron Jones only carries the ball three times in the second half? And they're not not like they were behind. Yep. I mean, you know, you, you, you got to run the ball a little bit more. And, you know, McCarthy always says, I'm going to run the ball. I'm going to run. And then he doesn't. And- well, and it's especially since Rodgers is, for I don't know why. I don't know if it's the lack of quality in the receiving core or whether he's mm-hmm. hurt or whatever. But Rodgers is not playing at the level that he's played at over the last couple of years, which isn't to say he doesn't have great plays from time to time. But, you know, you you got to mix it around. I'm with you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And, and you know, People talk about, I mean, I was just figuring while I was waiting on hold, this team will be lucky to win two more games this year. Um, I think they'll beat Arizona, and I think they'll beat the Jets. But other than that, I'm, I can't see them, you know, winning a, another game this year. Um, you know, it's, it's just, this is not a playoff team. No, it's, team it's not. bad. And it's it, and we can't and there's nothing no more nothing else we can blame it on. We can't blame it on Aaron Rodgers being right. hurt. We can't blame it on you know the defense and all that. It's it's you know, and I also think there's there's a rift between McCarthy and yep. Rodgers that nobody talks about. No, thanks. So, well, I mean, I think what happens is you know one of the reasons you have college coaches that stay at places for decades is because the players constantly turn over. You know, the, the, the college kids, they're going to be gone in a year or two years or three years or four years. And then there's always a new crop that's coming in. I, I think one of the things with pro coaches, after a while, the players have heard the spiel. There's only so much stuff they can do to to motivate them. And I do think the Rodgers-McCarthy thing has kind of gone stale. You, you, look at, you just look at the body language of what's going on, but there's not many football coaches that last that long. And, and McCarthy's had great shelf life, 13 years, and and maybe a change of scenery will reinvigorate him. Remember Andy Reid, who had great success at Philadelphia and then kind of got burned out? Well, now he's having great success at Kansas City. I don't wish McCarthy ill, but I just think you look at what's going on with the Packers, and they're not getting it done. And for all of us who are fans, um, we're you know it, it's it's tough. Let's talk to Corey in Princeton. Corey, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd like to say hello to my mom and the Daniels crew. <laughs> okay, here um, you go. Um, I Yes, I think it's time for change, but beyond that, I do believe that you have to get the right person in there. You have to have uh, someone that's going to be the right improvement, have the good chemistry with the team, and has the right, get the, the right mentality amongst everybody in the group. Well, I don't, I mean, thanks to call Corey. I don't disagree with you. And, and that's part of the tricky part because let us assume that given his age, Aaron Rodgers has a couple years left as being the, the, the top quality quarterback. What is, what's he going to be 35 in, in December? And again, maybe some of the things he's doing this year, maybe it's just because he's injured, whatever. I, I don't know. 
but you, you've got to hope that he's not on the physical decline. But regardless, he, he doesn't have that much time left. You can't hire a coach that's going to come in and do a three or four year rebuild. That, that's not it. You have to have a coach who's going to be able to come in, put in his schemes, use the personnel that the Packers have and be able to compete right away. So that, that, is kind of a defining thing, too. That's why I think that might have been one of the reasons why they stuck with McCarthy as long as they did, figuring, hey, you know, we're, we got to win now and we, we don't have this time to rebuild. So it's tricky to find out who the next coach is going to be. But at the same time, and believe me, I take no pleasure in saying this, but just from the perspective of that average fan sitting on that bar stool, you're watching this team that isn't a very good team right now. And, you know, one of our callers a couple minutes ago said he didn't think they're going to win another game. I, I, I mean, I don't think that's the case, but, you know, he, they got to go on the road to Chicago. I mean, they could get drilled there. They got to go on the road a week from Sunday night uh, to Minneapolis, to Minnesota. They could, that could get really ugly as well. I mean, they could run the table and win all six remaining games, but have you seen anything in the first 10 games or 11 games that convinces you that they've got the ability to do that? Let's talk to. Kurt in Hartland. Kurt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm a little frustrated. Was it? You know, all the while I was watching that game, and they started off so well, and I kept thinking, they're not going to win this. They're going to find a way to blow this, and they did find a way to blow it. Absolutely. I'm still the same way. I'm not an extreme hater or liker. I uh, I agree that McCarthy's probably got to have to go. Uh, I agree with the last public, but be careful what you wish for. Who are you going to get? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only thing I look at is you look at teams like the Rams and their success, their young coach with this, their play calling. You sit there and watch other games and say, well, the Packers don't do that. Yep. Do that very often. I did look at last night's game and, and questioned, you know, at one point towards the fourth at the end, Jones only had 11 carries, which is crazy. Right. And right. You, you say to yourself, here's my question. The transparency is not there. Is McCarthy calling a run and Rogers, uh, audibleizing? And calling a pass, I'd like to know. Well, right, exactly. And if that's if that's the case, why are they letting him do that so much? I mean, and again, I we don't know that that dynamic that goes on. It certainly looks like their relationship is kind of fractured. And the truth is, Rodgers is not playing at a superstar level. I mean, look, I I think Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever to play the game. But the truth of the matter is, you know, he has a lot of bad throws. As I was saying earlier, he he. He's not getting out of, he's holding the ball too long. He's not getting out of the pocket quickly. Again, I don't know if it's the injuries and hopefully it's a temporary thing because they have so much money that's tied up in him. But the truth of the matter is it's not clicking right now and it hasn't clicked for a number of years. And, and now you're well more than halfway through the season. You've had Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback and the Packers are sub 500 with a chance that they might for the second year in a row finish up as a below 500 team in a season where going in people thought well maybe this is a team that could make the super bowl let's talk to dan on the south side dan you're on wtmj good afternoon i totally agree jeff with uh getting rid of him he, he actually should have been gone a long time ago because if you like look at some of these games these Colts like that new england game where they were down at the end zone and they ran the ball mm-hmm. why did they run the ball i mean why didn't they try throwing it at least uh there's a lot of times he was in that coach, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, thanks. I know. I think, I mean, you look at the last three games, and I think he's, take away the Miami game. I'm sorry, you look at the last three road losses, and I think he's been outcoached in all of them. All right, here's a text. Jeff, not challenging the catch was a horrible decision. Yeah, it wasn't a catch. 
only overshadowed by giving Seattle the ball back late in the game. That was four-down territory for the pack, no matter where the ball was. Instead, we lost with Rodgers on the bench. I'm done with McCarthy. Also, we don't look to need, need to look any further than the Bucks and Brewers to see what a fresh look can do for a team. Yeah, that's that's kind of the point. I, I Look, I, I think Mike McCarthy deserves a lot of accolades. I mean, I think he's done... A very, very, you look at the body of work and you look at the wins over 13 years and he's done a lot of really good things. I think the truth of the matter is that if you look at some of the failures, it wasn't necessarily McCarthy's coaching. It was the fact that Ted Thompson, the last few years that he was a general manager, did kind of a crummy job. You know, he was, all right, we're all about draft and develop, but he didn't draft a lot of great players, you know, towards the end of his career. But regardless, sometimes you've just got to make a change and I think at this point in time, um, I guess they'll probably that doesn't make any sense to fire McCarthy before the season ends. But unless there is a miraculous turnaround, and maybe even then, might be time for Mike McCarthy to, I don't know, maybe end up. Cleveland's going to be looking for a head coach. Maybe he can turn them around. Just saying. That's my view from the bar stool. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 12.36, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show, do we have food here again? I I see everybody walking back and forth like pizza and stuff. No, no, yeah. <laughs> no don't don't go search. Do the radio show. That That's okay. I just, it's kind of like, oh, more, more food. That's new ownership. There's food coming in all the time. Gotta, gotta love that. All right. Thanksgiving is Thursday. I mean, it, it's just, I, I understand that, you know, we got people who are, out and about and they're deer hunting and you've got a little bit of snow on the ground this morning and maybe more snow tomorrow. So I, I get that the holidays are right around the corner and ready or not, you know, winter is coming after that. Thanksgiving, always traditionally kind of after Thanksgiving, the start of the holiday season. But it's, you know, it's been creeping up and going earlier and earlier and earlier. And perhaps the best example of that comes on, on terrestrial radio where you have stations that end up flipping their formats and going to an all-music format. Now, this week, two different stations in our area have flipped to all Christmas music. So now, you know, now through Christmas Day or through whenever they do it, New Year's Day or whatever, it's going to be all Christmas music all the time. And the idea is, okay, people are ready for this. People are ready for the holidays. This is This is what they want. I told the story a couple weeks ago about how we ended up, uh, my wife and I, don't send me hate emails, but we ended up buying an artificial tree. All right. And, I, and just just for a variety of reasons, including the makeup of our house and where we live and stuff, an artificial tree is the way to go. But it's a nice artificial tree. But, you know, there was a big sale three or four weeks ago at the place where we went, and we got a really pretty good deal on a really nice artificial tree. And again, don't send me emails about the artificial tree, but I... We were debating about when to put it up, and I think we both agreed, all right, look, this tree, it's it's not going up until, I don't know, maybe the weekend after Thanksgiving, maybe even later than that, because we're not ready for, we're not ready for the holidays yet. But you had the radio stations this week, now two of them have flipped, so it, it's all holiday music. 414-799-1620, that's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this the time? Is it too soon for holiday music, for the holiday parades, for all the tinsel? Are we ready for Christmas, 
or is it still too soon? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I'm pretty much, maybe I'm an outlier in this, because don't get me wrong, I, I love I love 24 hours of a Christmas story on, on Christmas Eve. I, I love that. I love a week before Christmas when you're getting into the holiday shopping bustle and things like that, or maybe two weeks before. I love going into the shopping malls and hearing the Christmas carols and the great Christmas music, the fun songs, the secular songs, the non-secular songs. I love all that. I'm just not ready for Christmas yet in mid-November. Are you? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it too soon for all of this or bring it on? 414-799-1620. And again, I understand the economics of retailers. I mean, retailers, they wait all year for the holiday shopping season. They can't wait for it to get here because in many cases, that's where they make all their dough, people going out buying presents and things like that. I am not a Grinch. I am not a Scrooge. I appreciate the value of the holiday season. I just think, I just think, you know, and certainly before Thanksgiving, to me, is way too soon. 414-799-1620, whether it's radio stations flipping their formats to all Christmas music or all the different displays, Santa Claus visiting the malls, I just don't think that should be happening until after Thanksgiving. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Crew is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Is Christmas in mid-November too soon? It's 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do not get me wrong. I love everything about the holiday slash Christmas season. I, I love the hustle and bustle. I love the decorations. I love the trees. I love Christmas music, whether it's some of the silly songs like Rudolph or whether it's some of the serious songs, songs like Silent Night, that I think are beautiful. I'm just saying, I think it is too early. What's got me started on this is, all right, Thanksgiving is next week, a week before Thanksgiving. Two Milwaukee radio stations have already flipped their formats to playing nothing but Christmas music. They get to do whatever they want. But I just think... I think we're rushing the holidays, and I think it's it's too soon. 414-799-1620. Okay, our text line has exploded. Let's see. I saw Halloween stuff in stores the first week in September. Before Thanksgiving is too soon for Christmas. Um, anything. Here's another one of our texts. This is Tom. It's too early for Christmas, Jeff. I am with you. Uh, let's see, Jeff, I don't like starting the Christmas music so early in November. I want to hear it around Christmas time. In many cases, after Christmas Day, they get rid of it. That's too soon. Jeff, I am so happy that you are saying this. I love Christmas. I love decorating. Love the whole thing about it. But it's way too early. I probably won't put up the tree until December 15th, and then we'll take it down one week after New Year's. To me, that is enough. Um, You know, no question about it. Let's see. Day after Thanksgiving at the earliest my neighbors has another text. My neighbors had all their Christmas lights and tree up in all its glory on November 1st. That's a tad early in my book. Now, look, I understand when it comes to lights, you, you want to, if you've got outdoor lights that you don't keep up year round, I understand why you might want to put them up in, in October or, you know, early November before the weather ends up getting brutal, even though we had kind of a, a rotten October and certainly a rotten early November. I understand why you might want to put them up. But lighting them, <laughs> that's the thing. It's one thing to put them up. It's another thing to kind of turn them on, and that's where you end up getting the issue. So like it or not, 
obviously the people who do this stuff, whether it's in the stores or, you know, whether it's the folks who decide to put up their tree early or whether it's the people that program radio stations, obviously they think they know what they're doing and they make the decision that there is this demand out there and that people want this stuff. All I know is, again, if I go in the mall this weekend because I want to buy a flannel shirt or a pair of boots or check out a book or whatever, I'm not ready to hear Christmas music. There will be a time for that. But for me, maybe it's because I'm old school. Maybe it's the traditionalists. I think you know, after Thanksgiving is the perfect time. And now my producer, Gru, tells me that his tree is going up this weekend. So you have an artificial tree as well. Artificial tree. All right, so you can get some of the hate mail I'm getting from this as well. Artificial tree up over the weekend. How long will you leave it up? When will it come down? Week after Christmas. So by New Year's, by by the beginning of next year, that tree is going to be down. Yeah, I, I, I think that's our plan, although we did not have a tree last year. This is the first year that Fran and I have been married that we're going to have a tree. So it's going to be, it's going to be up to her, but my guess is, my guess is that tree will be down. All the ornaments will put, be put away. Everybody will be in their place, certainly by New Year's, if not before. Hey, an update on a story that we have talked about over the course of the last week. That is the ongoing dispute between President Trump and CNN reporter Jim Acosta. You will remember this story. Last Wednesday, President Trump holds a press conference to talk about the midterms. First person he calls on is CNN reporter Jim Acosta. And and I, I, I say this without fear of contradiction. I think Jim Acosta is a jerk, and I think he's behaved as a jerk when it comes to his confrontational attitude with the president. Now, the president bears a lot for that. I, I get it. You know, you got the president who is very antagonistic towards the media and the fake news sort of things. But Acosta, I mean, I think Acosta deserves some of the stuff that he gets. In any event, there's this ongoing back and forth the president calls on Jim Acosta and then refuses to um, Acosta refuses to stop asking questions and, and ultimately they move on. President Trump says that Acosta is a terrible person. CNN shouldn't hire him, et cetera, et cetera. After all this, the White House revokes Acosta's press pass. CNN has about fifty what they call hard passes. These are, are press passes that allow the reporters who hold them to have access to the White House. They they can't go, they're allowed to go where the press is allowed to go. Um, they, they still can't go into private areas. So uh, the White House revokes Acosta's press pass, and CNN files a lawsuit against the president saying it was improperly revoked. The matter was the subject of a hearing earlier this week in front of a judge who was appointed last year by President Trump. The, the bottom line is, earlier this morning, the uh, the judge issued a preliminary injunction directing the White House to return Acosta's press credential. The judge said that he wasn't going to be considering this from the perspective of of the First Amendment. Is this a freedom of press issue, freedom of speech, and freedom of the press issue? Does does the White House have the, the opportunity, the ability to revoke the press passes of reporters that it disagrees with? Judge said he wasn't reaching that. He said, "I'm going to decide this on what he said was Fifth Amendment grounds. In other words, Fifth Amendment relates to due process." And he said they they. They didn't explain 
and they didn't give any justification as to why they took it from him, therefore, you know, violating his due process rights. The White House said, okay, we're going to give him his press pass back, but what we're going to do is we're going to come up with new guidelines and rules as to how, uh, how people have to behave. I don't know if they're going to continue to pursue this, but the bottom line is, as it stands now, Acosta gets his press credential back. As I have said repeatedly, the pro, I, I thought Acosta behaved poorly, and I think the White House should have the ability to, again, pull press passes of reporters that behave badly. I, I think that they should have a right to do it. The problem is, by deciding to do it in this case, they have further taken a guy like Jim Acosta and, and turned him into a rock star of the hashtag resistance movement. And I think that was the error in the decision they made. And so now, if I were them, I would say, look, this, I, I wouldn't continue to pursue this case through appeals or, or whatever. But my guess is it is still going to wind out that way. I think President Trump would have been much better off if he just froze him out, if he just said, I'm not going to call on him anymore. Now, interestingly, while this case is going on, even if he's covering the White House, if they have another news conference and President Trump decides he's not going to call on him and he does try to freeze him out, will that lead to a lawsuit? Stay tuned. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I have been saying this over the last week. There there was, of course, some surprises in the election held a week ago Tuesday. And, it, man, can you believe it's, it's only been 10 days? But one of the things that's happened is Wisconsin voters, by a narrow ma- margin, led by Dane County and Milwaukee County, decided that they wanted Tony Evers to be the governor instead of Scott Walker. I think that's a bad decision, but, all right, the voters have spoken. Well, Scott Walker is still the governor till January, I think it's 7th is when the swearing-in is, and you have a Republican legislature. The Republicans are going to control the state Senate and the state assembly regardless, by, by overwhelming margins. But there, there will be, or potentially will be, what they call an extraordinary session of the legislature that's going to be held between now and the time that Tony Evers gets sworn in. And there's a number of things that are being considered. And I, I argued this when the story first broke. I think Republicans should go very carefully here because, again, it do. Am, am I thrilled that Tony Evers is going to be the governor instead of Scott Walker? The, the answer is no. But elections have consequences. Voters make choices, and I don't think in a lame duck session of the legislature that we should have dramatic rule changes. And I mean, I made that argument about the Kimberly Clark bailout. If, if people want to spend. $100 million or whatever to, you know, bail out Kimberly Clark so they keep some jobs here. That That's okay. But I think that should be a decision that's made by incoming Governor Tony Evers and the new legislature. I, I don't think that's something that, you know, the current legislature should decide. Let it go to January and then see, because Tony Evers is the guy that's going to have to live with that decision. Well, here's another issue that's kind of hanging fire that's out there. In 2020, 2020, not next year, but a year after that, there in the spring are going to be three elections. There's going to be a nonpartisan primary for races like the the nonpartisan sort of things, county executives and things like that. Um, That's not county executive, but, um, you know, the the nonpartisan, the nonpartisan roles like the judges and things like that. There is going to be. Then in early April, there's going to be the general election 
for the nonpartisan races. And you're also going to have a presidential primary. All right. Now, the thinking is that President Trump is going to run for reelection and will probably not be challenged significantly by anybody on the Republican side. So Republicans aren't going to really have a lot of incentive to go out and vote in the presidential primary. On the other hand, the expectation is you're going to have 12 or 13 candidates on the Democratic side, and lots of Democrats are going to want to go out and vote. So the partisan primary in the spring, you've got the general election in April, and you've got the presidential primary in April. The presidential primary and the nonpartisan general election are currently scheduled to occur on the same day. The idea being, hey, if we're going to have an election, you know, let, let's just put it all together. You got the partisan primary and you've got the nonpartisan general election. We'll, we'll do it all at once. Republicans are apparently considering moving the date for the presidential primary from that April date and moving it to March. Okay. Why would you do that? Well, in April of 2020, one of the conservative justices on the state Supreme Court, Daniel Kelly, is going to be up for re-election. And the concern is, well, if we have that election on the same day as a Democratic presidential primary, what we're going to be doing is juicing Democrat turnout, making it more likely that whatever liberal is running against Kelly, who is a conservative, will, will have a better chance to win. So that's the thinking. The estimates are to have the primary, the presidential primary, on a separate day, like in March, would add somewhere between 6 and $7 million to the cost. It would cost that much to stage another statewide election. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I think Justice Kelly has done a great job since he's been on, on the bench. I think right now, I mean, he, he certainly has done nothing to convince me that he doesn't deserve re-election. I understand that you have this dynamic that's out there about, hey, if you've got a contested presidential primary, it might make it more likely that liberals are going to turn out to vote. I understand all that. But with all due respect to my Republican friends in the legislature, I think changing the date of the presidential primary simply to gain an advantage in a particular race at a cost of millions and millions of taxpayer dollars is irresponsible and shouldn't be done. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, some people would say, Jeff, you're wrong. You've got to grab every possible chance you can and every advantage you can. My answer is I don't think you should be monkeying around with the election dates purely for partisan purposes, especially if it's going to cost taxpayers millions of dollars 414-799-1620 we discuss next it's 1259 we'll talk about it right after the news 109 jeff wagner wtmj all right here's the story as it stands right now in 2020 not next year but the year after next the spring president the spring elections where you decide the nonpartisan races where you decide I don't know, the the judgeships, for example, including the Supreme Court justice race, that, that that is scheduled for early April. At the same time, they had they hold those nonpartisan races, county executives, for example, things like that. At the same time that election is held, you're also going to have the presidential primary. Because the, 
thinking right now is that President Trump will run again and will perhaps be unopposed, there's not going to be a lot of reason for Republicans to turn out and vote in the Republican presidential primary. On the other hand, it's going to be a free-for-all with Democrats. Lots of people are going to turn out. So here's the concern. You have a conservative justice on the Supreme Court, Justice Daniel Kelly. He's been on the program before. He's going to be up for re-election, or actually election, since he was appointed by Governor Walker. He's going to be up for election in the spring, this April of 2020. The concern that some Republicans have is that, hey, if he's up for election the same day you have this partisan primary, you're going to have all these Democrats that are going to be turning out, and they will end up voting for whoever the liberal candidate is to be on the state Supreme Court. So Republicans in this lame duck session that they're having, they're considering moving the presidential primary from the date it shares right now in April to a date in March. The idea being, okay, we're not going to have the partisan primaries swaying over into the nonpartisan elections. That would cost millions of dollars. I hope they don't do that. I discourage them from doing this. And here's my thing. When I try to look at these things, I, I try to say, what if the situation were reversed? And what if, for example, it appeared that there was going to be a hotly contested Republican primary in April of 2020 for the presidency, which would turn out Republican voters to maybe vote for Kelly. And you had a governor, outgoing governor, Tony Evers, who was trying to kill that plan. Well, if that was the case, I would be screaming bloody murder, and a lot of other people were as well. I just think if it's going to cost millions of dollars to have an extra election, you should just let it go. And trying to manipulate... Things like this, for partisan purposes, almost always backfires. 414-799-1620, I would say don't do it. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. What do you think? I want to thank you for this, your opinion because it's true. You know, I'm not a Republican. I'm going to be straight up. I am a Democrat. And if it was in the other shoe, it would be outraged for the Republican Party. You're not supposed to be stacking the deck. That's what you're doing, or what they're trying to do. Well, right, and and it would co- it's not just stacking the deck, but it it's, would cost the taxpayers. It would cost you and me, James. You know, somewhere in the neighborhood, they estimated between six and seven million dollars to do it. And I mean, I gotta believe that there's a lot better uses for six or seven million dollars than having. Another statewide election a couple more weeks, a couple weeks before you've already got an election scheduled. It just doesn't make sense to me. Thank you. Thanks thanks for your Well, thanks to culture. I mean, and again, this is the way you have to look at this is again, if Tony Evers were doing this, Tony Evers were Scott Walker were leaving office, Democrats had control, and they were trying to do something to make it more likely that the liberal candidate on the Supreme Court got reelected a year and a half from now, and they were trying to monkey around with election dates, we would all, I would be screaming bloody murder, and a lot of other people would. I, I think you just have to play by the rules. And it goes back to my, my, my basic concern of these lame duck sessions. And this happens all the time, trying to do things when, you know, it just, it, it's not their business. Elections have consequences. It makes perfect sense to me from just an efficiency standpoint to have the general election in April on the same day that you have the presidential primary. If nothing else, 
Maybe you can argue that the presidential primary is going to help turn out more voters. And, and rather than, in this case, Republicans complaining that there's going to be too many Democrats to turn out, maybe it's just an idea of, okay, well, this means we've got to, it's an extra motivation to get Republicans to turn out and vote in that presidential primary. I don't think you should be manipulating the dates. Let's talk to Troy in Sturgeon Bay. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Hey, I got a uh, quick happy birthday shout-out to Terry, my future daughter-in-law. And now I, I, now I can't believe it, Jeff. I'm calling in and talking about politics. Because <laughs> this is the kind of story that gets so many of us frustrated. Uh, you know, I crossed the line last week, two weeks ago, and I vote for the person who I think is selling their position the best to me. And instead, we got these people who, if they could just get rid of the caps or the label of Republican or Democrat and just go back to vote for the person they think is right, work together, our world, our country would be a lot better, a lot happier than wasting potentially 6 to $7 million on something mm-hmm. that just does not need to take place. So I guess that's my point, and uh, yeah. that's what I get frustrated with. Well, and thanks. I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people do. Do I understand... From the perspective, if I were going to put on my my hat saying, okay, I, I'm trying to be, I'm a conservative activist, and I want to do everything I possibly can to help Justice Kelly get, get elected. All right, I, I get all that. I, I understand it. And it, it's one thing to do that. But then to say, all right, if helping him get a, get reelected, what we can do is maybe manipulate the election date. Now, look, th- I, I want to be consistent here because over the years, I'm a guy who has railed on school districts for staging referendums on, on days where nobody's around. Hey, instead of having the referendum on the primary day in September, let's have it in August because we hope that there's going to be a, a shorter turnout. This was in the days before Wisconsin voters approved every school referendum that was put in front of them. But I'm the guy that railed on these school districts for manipulating the dates I think this is this is the same thing. I have a text here that says it would reek of, of desperation. That's I think that there's a lot to that as well. I mean, run the race, campaign on your merits, try to get whoever the best candidate is out there, but to go change the election day. And just as a practical matter, if you take a step back and you say, all right, we've already got a statewide election that's going to come up in, in early April. And we're going to have to get all the clerks in, and we're going to get all the volunteers in. And and then you say, all right, well, we can either have the presidential primary on that same day. We can do two things at once, or we can go through the whole process. We can schedule the primary in mid-August, in mid-March, and have to pay everybody to come in a second time. It, It makes no sense to do something like that, other than, again, that you're trying to engage people and you're trying to obtain, obtain partisan advantage. And look, I, I get it. I'm getting all sorts of texts from people saying, well, Jeff, you're just being naive. If the other side were in power, they would do it. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But I will tell you, if the other side were in power and they were doing that, I would be screaming bloody murder. So I, I, I can't just look the other way and say, okay, well, let's try to pretend that this might be right. Ryan in Glendale. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Sure. What do you think? Well, I happen to know Judge Kelly personally. It's a random story. Um, but, and I, you know, I, I watch him. He works so hard. He is, I, I truly believe, you know, as a conservative, young conservative, he's the best, uh, justice on the Supreme Court. He loves the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just have full faith in him. But I also agree with you 100%. It just, it just would not be right. We have to maintain, uh, 
integrity. So I, I plan on personally campaigning for him. He'll be the first person I ever campaigned for mm-hmm. uh, in my life. Um, I can't say enough about him. And I believe we as conservatives need to step up and uh, maintain our integrity and, and just vote him in. You right. Know, that, that's the way to do it. Well, right. Exactly. Thanks for And not, again, not manipulate the electoral process. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of how you can explain this with, with a straight face. And again, I, I understand that, you know, in the world of government, six million, seven million here, six million, seven million here, there, you know, who, you know, sooner or later it does add up. And if you're going to be somebody who wants to be fiscally responsible, how can you possibly, possibly support something like this and then look at your constituents and say, well, the reason we decided to schedule a, a second election two or three weeks apart and at a cost of six or seven million dollars was because, okay, for one particular election a year and a half from now, we wanted to give our candidate a better chance. How can you look your constituents in the face and say something like that? And I guess that's that's the bottom line. I understand what's going on here. I understand why it's going on. But this is one where I think principled politicians on both sides of the aisle, and I believe they're out there, should just say no. When we come back, it's an issue that is confronting people who are heading for the woods to go deer hunting. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Stick around. It's 119. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. A number of you are perhaps listening to me as you are driving up north or driving out west or northwest or wherever, getting ready for the start of the gun deer hunt season, which starts tomorrow morning. A lot of people are on the road doing that. We had an interesting conversation yesterday about the fact that the deer, the gun deer season, the number of people applying for permits has been steadily going down, and the number of deer taken during the gun deer season has been going down as well. It's not to say that there's not a lot of people that still are in the woods. They're going to estimate that, well, probably somewhere in the 580,000 range, people will, will go out and get permits. So that's still a lot, but it's down dramatically. And we were having a conversation as to why that is. One of the theories that I had and that several other people had is that among all the different factors that are going on, one thing that comes into play is the fact that in many areas, there's just fewer deer. And we had a number of people who called in yesterday who were saying, yeah, we, we've been hunting in the same area for years and years. It's, it's been five years since I saw a deer. It's been eight years since I got to shoot at a deer. All, all those different types of things. And I guess the basic thing is, I understand that there's all sorts of values to hunting and you can have a fun time and you can have an enjoyable time and you can have a great experience without actually taking a deer. But at the same time, if you, you know, if if it's going to cost you five hundred or a thousand dollars or whatever for a weekend and you want to get your your children excited or whatever, well, it's if you go year after year after year and you don't even see a deer. Well, okay, chances are maybe you're going to find something else to do. That's just the reality. And so we also then got into a discussion of why why might this be happening? And a number of people said both on the air and in conversations and comments I got afterwards that one of the big problems, particularly in certain parts of the state, is the prevalence of the gray wolves. Gray wolves which are preying on the deer population. Now, here's the deal. Um Gray wolves were declared as an endangered species. They were on the Endangered Species Act for for a while. 
because the populations were, were low. What happened then is they were, for a brief period of time, removed from the Endangered Species Act. And the argument was in Wisconsin, for example, that the population had rebounded to a point that they, you know, they were no longer, there was no longer a need for protection. In 2014, a federal judge ordered them protected, said, look, um, the, the population of gray wolves isn't sufficient and the rules weren't complied with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, no longer can you take the gray wolves. And the population has now increased. Um, the last numbers I have are from about a year ago. They estimate that now the Wisconsin gray wolf population has increased to a, a record high of, of over 925 animals. And that's about a year and a half ago that I have those numbers. And, of course, you've got the gray wolves that are protected, which means that they can't be taken. And what they're doing is they're taking the deer. So one of the things that's on the top of the agenda for Republicans in Congress, when Congress comes back after the first of the year, it's not the border wall, but it's it's this gray wolf issue. And there's a movement afoot to essentially enter into law the fact that gray wolves would no longer be protected, at least protected under federal law. If a state wanted to you know, have its own protections, the state could, of course, do that. For example, Washington State is one of the, the areas where they, they say the gray wolf population hasn't come back. But in Wisconsin, if you had the law changed, so gray wolves were removed from the protection under the Endangered Species Act, well, then Wisconsin could set up rules for taking gray wolves. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I find this fascinating because I think the proliferation of wolves is directly, di- directly impacts on <clears throat> the fact that you have deer, the declining deer population in certain areas of the state. I also, and this is something that you don't necessarily hear about if you're just completely tied into an urban area. I get all sorts of input from people across the state who talk about how these wolves are, are literally out of control. And it's not just taking deers. Deer, it is attacking farm animals. It's killing pets. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to continue to protect wolves in Wisconsin or maybe in the interest of I don't know, safety in general, managing the deer population, helping people who live in rural areas protect their property and their pets. Should we allow wolves to be taken? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 128. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of the first things that Congress is, the new Congress is going to take over is considering removing the gray wolf from the federal endangered species list. Now, okay, but before your eyes glaze over, why do I care about the gray wolf on the federal endangered species list? Well, in Wisconsin, gray wolves are are proving to be a huge problem. You cannot legally take them. The population now is pushing a 1,000 after being low for years, and you talk to people who live in certain parts of the state, particularly up north or in the northwest, they'll tell you that wolves are a huge problem. Let's start with Chuck in Pewaukee. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff, and Hi, thank you for the topic. Yes, it's, sir. Uh, it's amazing. We've had property up in Taylor County for over 30 years, and we use the trail cameras. And for years and years, we've participated in quality management 
And once the wolves started showing up on our trail cams, everything else disappeared. And by everything else, you mean all, all the other all um, deer, all the other animals? All bears, all fishers, everything, grouse, you name it. They're eating machines is what they're, they're professional killers. That's what they do every day, every night, all day, all night. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, if you're out in that woods, when those animals start yipping and howling, if that doesn't raise the hair on the back of your neck, I don't know what will. Right, right. So you, you, there's no question in your mind that the, the return of the gray wolves in relatively sizable numbers, that, that's dramatically affected, for example, the deer population where you live, where, and you're on your property. Without question. Without question. And, you know, back in the 1900s, they had a bounty on wolves. The government did. And there was a reason for that. Again, these things, that's all they do. They don't, they're not vegetarians. Right. They, they, they kill anything that they can to feed the, the, uh, population. You know? Yep. Yep. No, no, thanks. It's, it's interesting. I, I, without being too graphic, somebody just texted me a, a photograph of, of, of two dogs on their property that were mauled by wolves, um, were, were killed by, by the wolves. And these were, you know, these were these were dogs, but they're they're doing the same thing to deer. But again, look, and I, I think here, I mean, here's the reality: do I do I have an issue with the you know with certain animals being on protected species list? No. But what's happened is the gray wolves have been protected for years and years and years, and the population has rebounded. So as a result, you you now have a species that at least in Wisconsin isn't at least in my opinion endangered, and it's preying on all these other types of animals that are out there and. And in my opinion, at least, it's kind of affecting the balance of tourism in some of these areas. I, I think Wisconsin would be much better off if it were legally allowed to organize organize wolf hunts, obviously limit the amount of animals that can be taken. I'm not saying you make the population extinct again, but you it, it's, it's not an endangered species anymore. Bob in Watertown. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, hi, Jeff. Hi, Bob. I used to uh, have property up in the uh, Cribbits area, north of Green Bay. Sure. Uh, and it was a terrific deer hunting area. These days, I hear from folks that still go up there, and basically they now call it the land of no deer. Huh. Uh, and I do believe it is the wolves. However, I would not limit it to wolves. I have literally seen uh, several coyotes taking down fawns in the spring. And so we all know that the coyote population has also exploded. Right. Uh, I now hunt in the central part of the state, which they call the farmland zone. And literally, there are so many deer in that area right now that when I apply for a permit, I get a permit for a buck deer and then automatically get three more permits for every license I buy for either gun or bow hunting. Right, right, right. I literally, I literally for bow hunting and, and gun hunting, have a total of eight deer permits. So it's been, in your opinion, it's kind of been a shift in the deer population. They're moving to different areas, but where you used to hunt, they're, they're not there anymore. They are not there, and I, I do know gentlemen that continue to go up to Marquette County, which was, or Marinette sure. County, rather. Uh, I now hunt in Marquette, but I know folks that go to Marinette, uh, Marinette and they basically, as they say, call it the land of no deer. Mm, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, let me just give you an idea. I mean, I'm looking at some of these. This journal sent out a story about this, that the state's wolf population was down to 25 in 1980. 
So then, then they put in these various protections. Now, now there's almost a thousand of them. Last year, a record 42 hunting dogs were killed by wolves in Wisconsin. Most of those occurred as hunters ran hounds to train or were hunting for bears or whatever. But, but the point of the matter, the point of the matter is you, you have this wolf population that where it's not 1980 anymore because of all these different protections. You know, here you are, you're talking 35, 38, 40 years later. What you've seen is the protections have worked, but they've worked too well. The population is back, and it's starting to affect other things. Let's talk to Russell in Menominee Falls. Hi, Russell. Hi. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Should we do something about wolves? Yes, we should definitely uh, get, get rid of them off uh, the pair of thunder here uh, in Wisconsin uh, because they're just, uh, they're just decimating everything, as the gentleman said before, that they can possibly get a hold of. And it's not only the... Wolves that are doing this here, the bears are just as just about as bad as the wolves are, and uh, the, you know the yeah. PNR just seems to think that uh, because of the dollars that they uh, constitute from the, uh, the, the the sportsmen of Wisconsin, they uh, they uh, years ago uh, they they had to instill a uh, uh, kill a doe to get a buck yeah. permit. To shoot a buck, and and that just uh, that didn't help none whatsoever. Yeah, you know, um, you know. Th- thanks for calling. No, a lot of people, again, a lot of people who've been hunting for years and years say that the whole deer thing has been that it's been mismanaged. That 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 kill a doe thing was was a very very bad idea as well. And I and don't get me wrong, I am not suggesting that if you allow people to start eliminating and culling the wolf population that automatically that's going to turn around you know deer hunting in certain parts of of the state i i but i'm I'm saying that this doesn't help but more importantly if you just look at the numbers it doesn't justify you know being a federally protected endangered species anymore let's talk to tommy and mequon tommy good afternoon hi jeff Uh, i'm actually on my way up to deer camp right now okay and I'm listening to you to the place where it's Forest County. Uh, we kind of joke around that there's no deer there, where there used to be tons of deer there. And in recent years, we've just seen more wolf tracks than we have seen deer tracks. And now, wolves, I think, are a majestic animal, and there is definitely a place for wolves. Mm-hmm. But deer are also a majestic animal, and there are a place for, for deer also. So what I'm saying is it would be responsible or irresponsible not to have some sort of management with wolves because we do it for every other animal. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that, Tommy. I just A text just came in saying, Jeff, the worst thing man can do for wildlife is not to manage it. And and I'm not arguing that we should go back to a point where we allow so much hunting and taking that the, that the gray wolf is extinct, but we have protected it for so long that now it's almost like this pendulum has swung in the opposite direction. Yeah, let's rejoice in the fact that we can now manage this animal that once was endangered. I think that's that's a great thing. And that, I mean, we manage animals and all sorts of animals, and it's animal populations and hunters both right. benefit. Say, okay, so do you go deer hunting every year, Tommy? Yeah. All right. When's the last time you got a deer? Well, two years ago, but okay. I, not up there. Up okay. there, I've never gotten a deer. I really? Bow hunt locally. I bow hunt locally. And then I go up there for tradition, and they go do the do the gun hunting. I, I've I've never gotten a deer up there. Okay, your friends that you go hunt with, your family members that you go hunt with, do, do they do they get deers on deer? Do they get deer on a regular basis or not so yeah, much? Yeah, well, we have a we have a group of about twelve guys 
Um, and we hunt, half the guys hunt on public land, half the guys hunt on private land. Um, every year, maybe we get two deer, oh. two or three deer out of 12, out of 12 guys or so. Well, but so you're still getting, it, it's still, it, it's fun to go do that. And there's still enough activity to keep people interested. Absolutely. I'll never not go. Yeah, outstanding. Well, good luck. Best of luck this year. It's 144. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Gru, who's producing the show today, no way. You know who Bette Midler is, right? Are you a fan of Bette Midler? You love Bette Midler. I, I, I enjoy Bette Midler as well. I, I just, I, I've seen her live stage show on one or two occasions. Um, I, I have enjoyed some of the movies that, that she was in. I mean, going back to, I think her debut was The Rose, which, you know, is kind of, she plays a Janis Joplin-esque character back when she was a lot younger. Uh, she was in Ruthless People. I mean, I, 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 I think Bette Midler, I, I think she's a great entertainer. So I, I like Bette Midler. Unfortunately, as this happens sometimes as people get older or whatever, she's also become kind of a mean harpy. And, and there's this story involving Bette Midler. And now she, she's a big lefty and that's okay. I mean, there's no surprise that she, she's a Hollywood lefty, but here's the latest. Bet Midler backlash story. And I bring this up simply because, okay, Roseanne Barr does something uh, appalling and it cost Roseanne Barr her, her career. All right. That, that's fine. But, you know, Bet Midler or people on the left do things and, and it's not even a ripple in the pond. All right. The first lady of the United States, Melania Trump, who candidly, maybe you can, maybe you can criticize her, her choice of, of men. And there's you know, maybe lots of women that you you, you could do that about. You could, my wife is just an absolutely perfect person, except with, perhaps with the exception of her current choice of men. All right, may, maybe that's the case. But uh, Melania Trump, I, I think, is a very, very, not only is she a very, very attractive woman, but she's an extremely smart woman. That's why when you had the late night comedian that was mocking her accent, I'm thinking, all right, here's somebody that speaks, what does she speak, seven, eight languages or something like that? And, and you know, somebody's going to mock her, her English? Oh, goodness gracious. So anyhow, Melania Trump is a very, very attractive woman. And years and years ago, she was a model. In the year 2000, so 18 years ago, she did a, a photo shoot for a British GQ magazine. I'm looking at the photograph of this, and, and for the photo, she's a model. This is 20 years ago. She's a model. She's decked out in, um, she's in the cockpit of an airplane, and she's wearing this really spangly thing with like lots of metal. I would describe it as kind of a metal bikini, sort of like Carrie Fisher had on in Star Wars 3, but it, in the third Star Wars 1, The Empire Strikes Back, but it's, it's much more revealing at that. You, you look at this photo and she appears to be wearing very, very few clothes. You get a very good look at, at her breasts, et cetera, et cetera. That's just kind of, that is the, the reality. But, but she was a model. All right. So this has been out there since 2000. So two days ago, Bette Midler takes this photo and she sends out, she sends out a tweet to her 1.1 million followers with this photograph. And then the caption is, the dry cleaning bill for the upholstery on Air Force One must be insane. And I'll leave you to figure out what that means on, on that. But then 
Then she does like the hashtag thing, you know, where people will do hashtag resistance or whatever. All right. The the president of the United States is referred to as POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, president of the United States. The first lady of the United States is referred to as FLOTUS, first lady of the United States. So Midler sends out this picture of from 20 years ago of Melania Trump posing, you know, as the model, wearing practically nothing. Her caption is, the dry cleaning bill for the upholstery on Air Force One must be insane. And then she does hashtag, I, I can't say exactly what she says because I might get called into a meeting. But instead of F-L-O-T-U-S, First Lady of the United States, she writes hashtag F-L-O-T and then then she puts a couple other letters in, which would be a slang word for women's breasts. Okay? So that, that's what she has. So that, that's, that, that's what she sends out. You can figure out what she does. And she thinks it, it's funny. Now, there has been this incredible backlash about this because you know, I, I thought the whole idea of the Me Too movement and, and all this, I thought one of the lessons of, of 2018 is people need to be more respectful of, of women's choices and things like that. And we live in a world where Stormy Daniels, the former or current you know, stripper slash porn movie performer, you know, she's supposed to be revered as an icon for feminism and all that stuff because, well, okay, she's she's demonstrating that you know women can control their own bodies and things like that. So into this comes Bette Midler, who sends out this uh, again, this picture of Melania Trump for twenty years ago with with these references, and this is some of the stuff. Of course, the the internet exploded. Um, at Bed Mittler, now you've moved on to body shaming. You, honestly, is that what you want your daughter to be like as well? Teach her that if you disagree politically, that all bets are off, and it, when it comes to how low you are as a human being, um, one person after another. Dis- Bet Mittler, disagree on politics all day long, but this is a mean-spirited and childish jab at a woman's choices. This is what has finally made me put away my love for your great talent. You are a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Um, another text, why are you doing this? Haven't you had enough of bashing this poor woman? She was a model. So what? Don't hate. You really just made a fool of yourself with such a catty comment. Do you feel better posting this? You That made you feel good? You should apologize. What a shame. Here's another one. What a shame. You were one of my favorite actresses and singers growing up. My mother would listen to your songs all day, and this is where I got the love for you. My children also fell in love with your music. One of their favorite movies was Hocus Pocus. You just heard a lot of people that loved you. Another text. You're considered by some an icon as an advocate for women. This is so disgusting. What happened to all women should lift each other up? What did this woman ever do to you? You should be ashamed of yourself. So disappointing. And I bring this up because, again, it's it's the double standard that ends up being out there. If you had a conservative woman who, I don't know, you know, found a picture of uh, Jane Fonda from the Barbarella days or, or whatever, you know, any one of the number of left-wing Hollywood actresses who have posed without clothes on or in scantily clad things or whatever, if you found any of those and you sent out a similar sort of, of picture with a similar sort of hashtag, you know that that person would be pilloried, absolutely pilloried, but because, I don't know, it comes from Bette Midler, and she's supposedly a left-wing feminist icon, well, then it gets a different stand, gets a different treatment. I'm just saying you, you have to have similar standards, and I think this was an incredibly, incredibly bad taste. Again, regardless of what you think of her husband, 
I think Melania Trump is is quite a woman, a very, very accomplished. And I, I think, you know, she deserves a lot of credit. And for whether it's people, you know, mocking her for her appearance or mocking her for her career choices 20 years ago or mocking her for her accent because she speaks six or seven or eight languages. I think some people on the left need to get over themselves. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, right right before the, the newscast, we were kind of talking off the air, and you were saying a little bit about how with this weather and stuff, kind of a little bit of the winter blues already oh, setting I in. I think so. I'm just feeling like I'm probably gaining weight already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to, but, you know, it's like you get you get home, then it's cold out, it's dark out early. Right. You don't really want to go back out again. Right. It's dark it's when you get up. Yeah, it's, it's dark right. when you go home. I, well, <sighs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot, oh, no. but true story. Okay, so we had that station before you did your newscast. During the break, I, I walked out. I ran into one, two, three separate people from around here, actually all women, who all essentially said kind of the same what, thing. What, they said the same or, thing? Or essentially, it was like, yeah. well, I, you know, it's just kind of like, well, how you doing? I don't know. I'm kind of feeling, yeah. it's kind of got sort of the, the blues here. You know, it's kind of like, I'm not ready for winter and it's cold. And it, it's just the, the winter delays mm-hmm. already setting in. I can't oh. believe that. All right. Well, get over it. All right. Get over it. You know, <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Well, right. Because you can't be bringing the rest of us down. No, no. But I, but no, I understand yeah. exactly. It's kind of like, I mean, when I woke up this morning, the, the, well, actually, when my dog woke me up this morning at 545, it's like I, I bring, I raise up the garage door and I'm there in my sweatshirt and my, and my gym shorts and stuff. And I see there's snow on the ground. <laughs> yeah. You, you I know? did that too. I looked out the window. I was like, what? Yeah. <sighs> you know, I think I would just feel better if I got out and ran. I, I run, but, I haven't been running for the last couple of weeks, and I just I'm starting to feel fluffy. You know, you just like <laughs> that word, that's a good term, I think. Okay, and it's not okay, but see, we're, we're supposed to save this for mid February. It's not supposed to be it's November sixteenth. Started right. so early. We we will get over it. All right, we we will we will power through. But yeah, that that's kind of a common thing. So I bring that up only because if you are experiencing that, and you're sitting there thinking, "My God, it's only November, and I'm already starting to get the winter blues." You you are not alone. We are all in it together. There is a special spot in you know where for for certain certain people. The every once in a while you'll see the story of the guy that or gal that runs into the Seven Eleven store and they've got the big jug of change that they're raising money for whatever disease it would be, and you'll see that the person is captured on camera stealing the jug. And I've always said it as somebody who does believe that there's a heaven in another place. And I don't know if there's a St. Peter or not, but I don't I don't want to be that guy standing in front of St. Peter as they're kind of like looking at all the different stuff that you did in your life, all the good things, all the bad things. I don't want to be that guy. Who St. Peter says, huh, November 15th, 2018. You were the guy that walked into the 7-Eleven and stole the jar of change that was supposed to go to Jerry's kids or whatever. I don't want to be that guy. I just, you know, there, there's some stuff that you can explain, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be these people either. And it's really, I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday, but there, now we're getting more details that are emerging. It was one of the great feel-good stories of last year. And now it turns out to be a complete and total scam. The couple, I mean, the way it worked out, this was the New Jersey couple, and the wife's story was she ran out of gas on the freeway. Um, she ran, she came across a homeless veteran 
who said, look, I, I'm worried about you, took his last $20, went, filled her gas can, came back, you know, gave her gas, you know, she drove off, and then she and her husband decided, we have to do something to help this guy out. And you will remember the story, and then they started this GoFundMe campaign, and it generated hundred over $400,000, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They were on Good Morning America or the Today Show or whatever. All these people that heard the story, oh, how wonderful this was, and they gave money out of the goodness of their their hearts. Well, the story started breaking down a few months ago because the homeless the homeless man and the couple started having a falling out, and they both ended up having lawyers. His story was at first, well, you know, all this money that was coming in, I didn't get, I wasn't getting it. Their story was, well, no, we were giving him the money, but he was just throwing it around, and he was spending it on dro- on dope and booze. And so, you know, what we want to do is we want to kind of conserve it for him. Because if you give the guy the money, it's just all going to be gone. Remember, there was that back and forth, and everybody was luring up. Well, now, at least according to the prosecutors, the whole thing was a scam. Here's the way the New York Post reports this. It was a tale that warmed hearts around the world. A homeless veteran forking over his last $20 to help a distressed driver gas up her car in the dead of night. But the truth is more of a stomach turner than a heart warmer. The hero... The woman he saved and her boyfriend were a trio of scam artists who knew each other for at least a month before the so-called chance encounter. And the $400,000 they raised on GoFundMe was blown on luxury items and gambling trips that included a lavish New Year's trip to Las Vegas, officials said Thursday. The prosecutor says the whole campaign was predicated on a lie. The woman, her name is Kate McClure, did not run out of gas on an I-95 off-ramp. The vagrant, Johnny Bobbitt, did not spend his last $20 to help her. Rather, Mark D'Amico, that's the boyfriend, McClure and Bobbitt, conspired to fabricate and promote a feel-good story that would compel donors to contribute to their cause. The couple had apparently known the guy for at least a month before their Paying It Forward campaign went live In November of 2017, they had spotted him panhandling by an underpass during their frequent gambling jaunts to Philadelphia's Sugar House Casino. Their first interactions, you know, started innocently enough. Apparently, they started talking to the guy, and they would bring him coffee and things like that. But, and of course, the the couple, apparently, they they left a paper trail because they started sending emails, you know, back back and forth to themselves and to, you know, other other people about this entire thing. You know, the like, for example, the lady sends a note, the thing about the gas part is completely made up. I had to make up something to make people start feeling bad, so shush about the made-up part. So, again, Good Morning America, The Ellen Show, etc., etc., the whole thing though, was a complete and total scam from the beginning. And now, I mean, all three are being charged with various crimes. I guess the the bottom line of this is every once in a while you see these stories and you just kind of shake your head and you say, man, to me, this is the story. And again, regardless of whether they do prison time or how they have to pay the money back, there are so many people out there who are so very good-hearted and so generous we see that every time we do one of our WTMJ Cares 
campaigns, for example, I am blown away by your generosity. And, and I, mean, I see people who, you know, will, will call in, they'll, they'll hear about this cause, and they'll they'll donate $5 or $10 or $20. It, it doesn't matter what the amount is. But I see this overwhelming generosity and the fact that we come forward and we want to we want to help you know, people who need help or have these great compelling stories. So when I see things like this, where these people cook up some scheme with the idea of let's figure out a way to tug on people's heartstrings and let's try to figure out a way to induce people to give money so then we can take it and not use it to make the world a better place, but rather we can take it and go fund our, our trip to Las Vegas where we gamble and spend tens of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars or whatever. You, you, you realize the criminal justice system, well, there, there's something they can do, but it's one of those, man, it's my St. Peter rule, and I don't want to be any of the three of these people standing in front of St. Peter moving forward. The other thing is, and I, I hate to be cynical about this, but the, the lesson is, you know, fools and their money are, are parted, and there are people out there who want to play us all for fools. They come up with the great story, they want to touch your heartstrings, and then it turns out to be a, a complete scam. And it is unfortunate, but the reality is when stuff like this goes on, you don't exactly know who to trust, and just because somebody's on Good Morning America or The Ellen Show or whatever, that doesn't mean that they're not just a giant con artist like these three were. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 2.20, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I should, oh, all right, so I, I should I should know this. Um, as somebody who has been known to go to Las Vegas and place the occasional bet, I have been known to, to wager on, on, on sporting events where it is legal. So Green Bay was a three-point underdog last night against the Seahawks, so it was a, it was a push, in other words. So they, they lost by three points, so it was a push meaning nobody ended up collecting. I, 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 I'm intrigued by this because we talk a lot, and we had all these referendums over the course of the last you know week or two, in Wisconsin, asking you know people in different counties whether or not they thought marijuana, in some cases it was medical marijuana, in other cases it was recreational marijuana, should be legalized. And I think all of them, them passed. And the argument for legalizing recreational marijuana is that people do this anyways, what we should do is we should legalize it and we should tax it and look at all the revenue that we're going to get. Okay, well, there's another form of revenue that I want to talk to you about. Last May, the state Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down federal laws banning sports betting. And what they essentially said was it's a matter that states can regulate. So states can decide whether or not they want to offer sports betting because the way it worked previously is Nevada. Nevada was accepted from the federal law. There were one or two other places. But so that's why you can go to Las Vegas and you can bet on sporting events, whether it's the Brewers, the Packers, or anything else. All right, New Jersey. New Jersey was one of the states that forced this case to the Supreme Court because New Jersey wanted to authorize sports betting. So after the Supreme Court decided this case in May, um, New Jersey decided to, to jump in with, with, you know, both feet. And sometime in like June or July, they, they started opening up betting parlors. And so you can bet on sporting events, NBA games, Major League Baseball games in New Jersey, just like you can bet on them in Las Vegas. All right. For the first few months for the first four months here's the deal 
bettors in New Jersey have plunked down nearly $600 million. Nearly $600 million. The sports books, the bookmakers, so far they've generated nearly $52 million in, in sports betting revenue. So that's, you know, taking their cut out of it. And so far, in the first four months alone, New Jersey, New Jersey has hauled in $5.5 million in taxes based on the revenue that's been generated based on all the money that's been built, been spent. $5.5 million in tax revenue from sports betting in the first four months. Now, New Jersey is a different state than Wisconsin. I, I get it. And I don't know that if you were to legalize sports betting in Wisconsin, the same way they did in New Jersey, that you'd have as much money being bet and that you'd have $5.5 million being generated in just four months. But, I mean, you would have, is it reasonable to think that you'd have at least half as much, you know, $2.7 million or something? My answer would probably be yes. All right, we only got a couple minutes before the bottom of the hour, but I, I want to open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The U.S. Supreme Court says it's up to the states. States can decide if they want to allow sports betting to occur. New Jersey has allowed it. It's something that's obviously been relatively popular, $600 million bet in four months. It's generated over $50 million in revenue for the bookies, the legal bookies, and it's generated over $5.5 million for the state. Should we be looking at this? I mean, if we're looking at, if the justification is, hey, people smoke marijuana anyways, it's no big deal, let's legalize it and tax it, should we do the same thing for sports betting? Should you have been able to go and bet on the Packers legally in Wisconsin? We talk about it next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, if you're just tuning in, a lot of people voted in favor of legalizing recreational marijuana use. Part of the justification is, hey, people do it, let's tax it, make some money out of it. All right, in New Jersey, that's the approach they took to sports betting. People do it anyways. They legalized it. It's been in effect for four months. $600 million bet. Profits of like $52 million for the legal bookies. Tax revenue of $5.5 million in four months. Should we do it here? Jason in Sheboygan. Hi, Jason. Jason. Jason, Jason, Jason. Lost Jason. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Got a couple texts here. Of course we should legalize it. Take the revenue. I got to tell you, that's where I come down on this as well. Now, I understand that there's some people out there who... I don't know, have have objections to gambling, and I, I appreciate that. I respect it, to which my response would be, well, okay, then, then then don't bet. I understand that there's a certain part of the population just like that, that can't handle betting and gambling, just like there's a certain part of the population that, that has issues with alcohol. Well, we don't say that because you have people who can't control their drinking because they have issues with alcoholism, that that, that means we don't allow people to drink. I think it's the same sort of rationale. And one of the things that is going on in this state is we the genie is out of the bottle. I mean, we we allow gaming. You can go to any one of a number of, in this case, 
Indian Native American run casinos across the state and you can play blackjack and you can play roulette and you can play slot machines to your heart's content. You can also go at least some of these places and you can place paramutual bets on dog racing and on tracks from across the country. I I understand it. We have gaming in the state of Wisconsin. So I guess I look at this and see this is just another form of of gaming. People want to do it. I think people do it under the table now. There's a huge black market, I think, that exists now for people who are out there and they're placing their sports bets. And I guess I don't see this as being any different, candidly, than going down and playing blackjack or playing poker or playing uh, again at the at, at a racetrack or whatever, at one of the race books or whatever. I think this is just the next variation of that. And if it's something that people want, and it's something that people are going to do anyways, and it's something that the state can generate revenue on, to me, I think you follow New Jersey's lead. And candidly, I would rather see us legalize sports betting before we legalize the recreational use of marijuana. But if you're going to do one, why not do both? 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is the portion of the week where we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about election results and what we're going to do with immigration and whether we need a border wall and why they can't count votes in Florida and what's going to happen in the state of Wisconsin when Tony Evers takes over. We put away all that stuff. And we kind of go, well, hopefully gently and with a smile into our face into the good weekend. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. Every week we talk about... I don't know, something from the pop culture world that has caught my attention. Sometimes we talk about movies and sometimes books and sometimes travel and sometimes food. It just kind of depends on what's struck my fancy, tickled my fancy during the course of a week that I hope you will find interesting. All right. So today we're we're going to turn our attention for Pop Culture Corner to the world of television. Now, I was one of the Netflix holdouts, I, I admit Everybody in the world had Netflix before I got it. But now that I have gotten it, the, and of course, my wife will tell you this, the last thing I need is another excuse to sit in front of the TV set. But Netflix has given me that. And because I, I have this genetic makeup that, that makes me a completist, if, for example, I, there, I, I, I stumble across a, a book um, John D. McDonald writing about Travis McGee, and he's got 27 books. And I read the first one, well, then I want to read the other 26. I, I just, I, I'm like that. So I'm kind of a completist. I, I like if there's a, a TV show that I end up watching, well, then I, I want to, if there's a miniseries, I want to watch them all. That That's kind of it. And I'm also, a lot of times I will sit and I, I will watch them all. I was doing that with the, uh, the Watergate thing. They had a Watergate documentary that was on, uh, History Channel. Okay, five episodes. So I'm sitting there and I, you know, it was a Sunday afternoon, last Sunday afternoon or two Sunday afternoons ago. I spent five hours. I, I'm doing, I'm doing the binge. Netflix has all these different shows. They came out with the final season of House of Cards. I don't really like House of Cards that much, but it doesn't matter. I'm a completist. I watched the first couple seasons. I wanted to see how it turned out. I don't think it was a particularly great fifth season, but I watched it anyhow because I wanted to see how it turned out, and I watched it over the course of like two two days. I am, my name is Jeff, and I, I'm prone to binging. All right, well, this is that type of year. Earlier on, Melissa and I were talking about how, I don't know, people are becoming a little bit more like couch potatoes now. But plus, we've got the holidays coming up. A lot of people are going to have some time off, whether it's taking time off before Christmas or maybe 
Maybe, you know, you're off on Wednesday and you're off next Friday around the Thanksgiving holiday and there's only so much football you can watch. Yes, I know what I just said. But but this is a time when I think a lot of people sit down and they decide that they are going to binge on on a TV show. So given the fact that I've just come off one or two binges and I think this weekend I'm already geared up for another one. I've kind of already decided my wife's got to work. So I've kind of decided, you know, what, what I'm going to watch and I'm planning to watch like eight episodes of this show that I think drops the day on Netflix. But, but I thought we would talk about binge worthy television. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If you are going to go on a TV binge coming up this weekend, next weekend, over the course of the next few weeks, what is your most binge-worthy television show? The one that it's worth investing the time, regardless of whether you've seen it before or you've seen it 10 times or whatever. That show that, hey, okay, my husband's off deer hunting. I, I'm just going to be sitting at home. I am going to, I don't know, fire up the DVD player, fire up Netflix, fire up on demand or whatever. And this is the show that I am going to binge on. Your most binge-worthy television show, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as we always advise people during the segment, Please call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as possible, and also go with your first instinct. Sometimes people overthink this, but and I say, gee, that, that show that you're going to go home, you're just looking forward to the opportunity to binge on, what is it? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 239. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, you're looking to go on a TV-related binge over the upcoming Thanksgiving weekend. What what are you going to be binging on? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line, all part of Pop Culture Corner. Three people. X-Files. Huh. X-Files. Um, interesting. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ken in Pewaukee. Ken, hello. Hi. How you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Okay, so you're going to binge. What's it going to be? Well, my wife was in the house four years ago, in and out, and then didn't. I missed a lot of the episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Okay, so you're a Trekkie. Oh yeah. Okay, but it's going to be so. It's going to be the Next Generation. It's not going to be the original one with Leonard Nimoy and Bill Shatner. It's going to be the the newer stuff. Yep, with Data and Captain John Luke Picard. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, your most binge-worthy TV show. Let's talk to, let's see, Jaden in Milwaukee. Jaden, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, what are you going to binge on? The show I'm binge-worthy of is Malcolm in the Middle. Okay, with um, Brian Brian Cranston plays the dad before he was Walter White on Breaking Bad. Yep, okay, thanks for the call, Jaden. Yeah, that's, I mean... Malcolm in the Middle, that, you know, I never appreciated what a good actor that Brian Cranston was. Because you look, okay, he's the dad in Malcolm in the Middle, and then he goes on and he does this star turn as, as you know, Walter White in, in Breaking Bad, which, by the way, Breaking Bad may be, and I say maybe, because there's a couple of ones that are up there as well. Um, the Wire on HBO, The Wire, um, which is, of course, about the narcotics trade in, in Baltimore. The Wire and and Breaking Bad 
might be two of the most binge-worthy shows ever. I mean, you, I, I cannot tell you. Know, I, I've, I've seen the whole Breaking Bad thing from beginning to end. I can't tell you how many times. But it, it doesn't matter. I mean, once you get kind of sucked into that, and even if you know what's going to happen, you still end up watching it and just kind of marveling at the show. I mean, Breaking Bad is incredible. And again, it's it's Brian Cranston, the guy from Malcolm in the Middle, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lori in Fond du Lac. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are I'm, you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, what's worth ben, what's binge-worthy for you? Suits. Suits. You know, I, I've never gotten into that. Is that. Are they lawyers? Is that what that one is? Are they lawyers? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're lawyers. It's um, it's really good. I've been, I'm just on. I think I'm just on the third season right now, but okay. I love it. When you go, okay. When when you go on a binge, how how many episodes are you going to watch at once? Um. Well, I, I watch it when I'm working out. <laughs> I got it. No. So I guess I just I get, okay. So I watch a couple, maybe two. Okay. In but, a row. But it's going to be. Do- I get it. I'm saying that that's the whole idea. It's now. See, I'm I'm a little more intense than that because I'll I'll sit there and it's one of those that you know it's eight o'clock at night. You're watching that, and then at ten o'clock, your wife says, "Are, are you coming to bed?" I'll be right there in a minute, honey. And the next thing you know, it's it's one o'clock in the morning, and you're still you know working your way through those things. It ends up happening. Okay, a number of people are texting and saying, "Danton Abbey." Uh, you know, it's funny. I never. I never watched that, and and it's kind of on my list. It's it's I was um, I I got into a again. This goes back to the whole Netflix thing. I, I started watching The Crown on Netflix, and, and I did watch the first two seasons of it. But again, it was one of these where I'm a completist. I I thought I I actually I thought it was incredibly slow, but I, I wanted to I wanted to watch the first two seasons, so I I made it through. I haven't seen Downton Abbey yet, but that's on the list. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Greetings and salutations. All right. Mine is uh, um, Firefly and the associated movie Serenity. Okay, fire, that's a science fiction one, right? Right. Uh, kind of a combination sci-fi, uh, space opera, and western. Okay. It's kind of it's got it all wrapped in. Thanks for that, that's I haven't seen Firefly either, so that's got another one that's sort of wrapped in. Let's talk to Jeremy and Horicon. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Well, okay, most binge-worthy show. Uh, Modern Family. You, you know, it, it's funny. I've never gotten... I, I love Ed O'Neill. I've never... I, I've seen an episode here and an episode there, but I, I've really never watched it regularly enough to know who the characters are and stuff. But it looks like it's a funny show, and I know a lot of people just love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, wife usually watch it uh, every night before she goes to work. <laughs> Well there, well, well, there you go. You got it. I mean, thanks. For, now, of course, if we were talking to my wife or her friends, the binge-worthy show is is exactly that. It's friends. I and i i don't I don't quite get the, the whole friends thing, but I, I acknowledge that there's there, there's people out there, and, and like I say, my wife and a number of, of her friends and her kids, they're, they're they all watch Friends, and and you know it doesn't matter how many times they've seen it. And if they had an afternoon off and there were six Friends episodes in a row, they'd watch all six Friends episodes. Now, again, I, I think it's an okay TV show. I don't quite do that. I'm the guy that's going to be binging on The Wire. Here's a text. Um, Mad Men and Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, the, the motorcycle gang show, Mad Men. I understand that. You know, Both of those shows with me, they're, they, they, a little bit goes a long way. If, if I'm going to binge on that kind of show, it's going to be um, – it's going to be The Sopranos. I mean, The Sopranos is another one that um, I just like Breaking Bad. 
if if HBO or somebody you know has a few episodes of that, I'll, even though I've seen them three, four, five, six, ten times in some cases, I'll still get drawn into it because I think it's such a well done show. Let's talk to Wendy in Janesville. Wendy, you're on WTMJ. My show is Shameless. <laughs> okay, on Showtime. Yes. <laughs> All you, right. You, you keep thinking of the can't get more shameless, and it does. Yeah. You know, I the first I haven't seen the I haven't seen much of the last couple of years. I, I watched it religiously the first three or four years, and then it just got so mind boggling. <laughs> you know, but 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 you're right. It's like okay, and this is a, a great actor, Bill Macy, who's like the the patriarch of the out of control family. And I, I do acknowledge you watch that and you go, my God, they just had him do what? You know, and he did it. And so, he does. It's like a car wreck, and you can't turn away. Have you been? Have you watched it from the beginning? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And I, I see this year a couple of the a couple of the actors, Emmy Rossum, uh, who's the, the female lead, she's leaving at the end of this season, I guess, too. So it's going to change a little bit. Going to change a lot, I think. Got it. Okay. Thanks. You know, Shameless. It's it was one. It was kind of a that's been on Showtime. I they they filmed part of it in Chicago. It's about the Gallagher family set in Chicago, and it's I I do acknowledge I I got into it because somebody recommended it, and I went on to like the Showtime on demand thing in the first year or two. I, I watched it episode after episode, and she, Wendy's exactly right. You go, oh, my God, I can't believe they've got that stuff going on. Anne in Brookfield. Hi, Anne. You're on WTMJ. Hi. The uh, show I like really a lot is on Netflix, and it's Making a Murderer. Okay. So did you watch Did you watch not only Making a Murderer 1, but have you watched all the episodes of Making a Murderer 2? Yes. Okay. All right. It's, go, it's right here in Wisconsin. So, yep, the Stephen Avery um, trial. Right. Do you think he's innocent? Very, very Yes, I do. Okay. All right. And and the nephew too. Got it. Okay. Uh right, Brandon Dassey. Okay, well thanks for yeah. calling. That's that is the power of documentaries and we're gonna have to respectfully disagree. I was doing legal analysis during that trial and I, I understand that people see the documentary and they reach a conclusion. I will respectfully disagree with you. But I appreciate the fact that making a murderer is is an extremely well done, in my opinion, piece of fiction. But that's okay. 414-799-1620. Richard in Milwaukee. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Richard. Well, first of all, thanks for doing your show. A lot of people consider you a voice of reason. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. I mean that. I really do mean that. Thank you. And I, I know you do. Um, the show I would like to binge on would be Route 66. Boy, you're dating yourself. Um, I do it every time I call, but that's all right. Martin Milner and who? Martin Milner, who went on to be in Adam Twelve, and I'm, who was the other guy? Do you remember? George Maharis. George Maharis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, every every week, the production team and the actors and everybody went somewhere in the country and filmed on location. And as Milner said, the series is a recorded film history of what America looked like in yeah. the 1950s yeah, before it became overdeveloped. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things on my bucket list is hopping in the car and trying to recreate Route 66. And I understand Route 66. And as a matter of fact, I have a couple books mm. that, you know, kind of say, okay, this is where you have to turn and all these type of things. That That's always kind of been on my bucket list because um, – that was sort of before my time. Thank, thanks for the call, Richard. Thanks for the good words. I do appreciate that. I, you know, I, I always say this at the end of shows, and, and I, I mean it. I, when it comes to your radio listening, I really do know you've got a lot of different choices, and I appreciate you spending you know, the days with me, a few hours, or I appreciate all the people that download the podcast. I, I really do. Um, here's a text. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, with Larry David. That's another one where I, I've watched some of them, 
Um, but I, I just, I, I, I didn't get into that that much. But curb your enthusiasm really does that. That's one that if you love it, you're you're going to get into that. Quantum Leap, right? That's another one. A Quantum Leap would be a great one. Another binge worthy show for me is um, Justified. We ran for I think five or six years um, with Timothy Oliphant, who was from Deadwood. Deadwood is another. I mean, Deadwood, three seasons of Deadwood, like 30 episodes. They say they're making a movie. I'll believe it when I see it. But Deadwood is another one where if you've got like HBO on demand, you can sit there and you can watch three years worth. You can do 30 episodes in three days if you're obsessed about it and and really get a picture of it. John in Madison. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. No disagreements with any of the shows that uh, people have mentioned. Um one of the shows that I really got into on Netflix is uh, Supernatural. Okay. It's, uh, two brothers, basically, they hunt down uh, supernatural demons, okay. werewolves, um, <laughs> things of that nature. So we're, it's been on forever. I think they're in their 15th season now. Okay. And um, the the most recent episodes are, are more about, like, angels, demons, and God. And the devil, but uh, it's a great show. It really is. I, I you know, I, I will. Thank, I, I, thanks for call. I, I've never. I, that, that's one that, that's not always. Here's part of the problem with with the TV stuff that's out there. There's so many good shows or interesting shows that it's tough to keep up. I mean, I I watch a lot of live sports. I, I watch a lot of movies, and and it, it's just tough to figure out. There's a there's a Netflix is dropping a show. The name escapes me today, and it's got Michael Douglas in it. And it sounds like really intriguing because it's it's some guy. It, it he plays a character who's kind of a has been actor in Hollywood, but it, it's about growing older. And it, it seems to me interesting. It, it's it's eight episodes. Uh, they all drop today. I, I might check that out partially this evening. But that means I've got this other stuff that I typically watch on Friday nights. Um, you know, once my wife stops working, you know, we'll actually be able to go out to dinner and stuff, and I won't be stuck in front of a TV. But for the time being, I can handle it. It is 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.